0: Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapters. Uh, we'll be in 46 through 48 today, um, and and we're coming to the the close of another section and a transition into a new section. 40 through 47 uh, has focused um, on Yahweh's power to save his people uh, and the nations, um, and he's proven that. Uh, by, by the calling of Cyrus, the Persians are going to come and, and judge Babylon. They're going to redeem God's people. They're going to free uh, God's people from exile. And then 48 makes this transition into 49 through 55. You might remember back in Isaiah 40, verse 18, uh, this question. Uh, and, and, and the question still remains. He says, uh, God says, to whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? So we're, we're, we're holding up God revealed in Scripture. We're saying, who is like our God? Um, here's a truth statement. I'll, I'll say it slow in case you want to write it down. Obviously, we don't have a screen, um, and I'll repeat it multiple times. God has called his exiled people to listen to his word is the first part. Okay? God has called his exiled people to listen to his word and not put their trust in In useless idols, so they'll be ready to go when he comes to deliver them. So, God has called his exiled people to listen to his word and not put their trust in useless idols, so they'll be ready to go when he comes to deliver them. So, we start in chapter 46, um, and it shows us this radical contrast between God, Yahweh, and and the so called gods, these fake gods of Babylon. Verse 1 starts off. And I encourage you, if you have a Bible, open it because we're we're, we're going to be chugging through these these chapters. It'll help you so much if you can read along. It says, "Bel bows down, Nebo stoops." So Bel and Nebo are, are Babylonian idols. It says their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Uh, the picture here is the defeat of Babylon, right? And their gods, these idols, these so-called gods are being carried away. Uh, Bel is the god of, um, of the sun. Nebo is his, uh, his, his son, his offspring. Uh, Nebo is the god of learning, writing, uh, and astronomy. Uh, so Bel and Nebo, they're bent over in, in defeat, like they're bowing down. They, they can't even hold themselves up. These gods are being carried away, defeated. And, and the picture here is that they're, they're heavy. Um, they're, they're a heavy burden for these beasts that have been tasked with, with carrying them. I don't know what these beasts are. Imagine big, powerful oxen. And, and these fake gods are, uh, are powerless to save, them, save themselves or anyone else. Right? They, they couldn't save Babylon. Babylon, this, this, this powerful, mighty nation, couldn't save their gods. So they're all being carried away into captivity. And, and, and the burden is great. You feel for these beasts as they, they carry these fake gods away. Verse 3. Wow, someone just got splashed on. Way to go, Nate. Um, verse three, listen to me, O house of God, all the remnant of the house of God who've been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he and two gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. And I'm sure you caught the contrast there between these idols that have to be carried by those who worship them. They're, they're a burden to those who worship them, right? They do not add to life, they actually subtract, they make it worse, Carrying bell and Nebo wears you out, and that's contrasted with the truly unique God of Israel, Yahweh, right? Which is his, his covenant name that he revealed to his people. Yahweh is not a burden; he is the opposite, right? He carries the burdens of his people. In fact, Yahweh carries his people. He's the one who gives them life. He says, "Before you were born, I carried you." He says, I carried you in the womb, even to old age. So from pre-birth to the end of your days, God is carrying you, right? We, we, God's people should be comforted by that. Those who trust in God alone to save them. He says, I've got you. You're not alone. I'm the one carrying you through life right through easy seasons and through really hard difficult wearing seasons he says i've made you i will bear i will carry and save so which do you choose we we compare yahweh to these gods who will you choose to follow the last couple of years have just been a, a grind, it has been wearing, I think for all of us in, in some similar ways and, and then we each have our own uh, unique challenges as well. I know some in our body have been caring for aging parents and, and it's been challenging to take care of them, to, uh, to try and keep them healthy and, and, and still be with them and, 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 uh, and love them well. Um, parents of, of school age kids, uh, you've had unique challenges of, as you either homeschool or or you had to do online school uh, for a while. And then on top of that, you're having to learn how to work possibly remotely or work in this new environment because of COVID. Um, others, maybe you don't have kids, but but you have all your work responsibilities that you've been dealing with. And then also trying to figure out the, the additional tasks that now are part of your job because of this pandemic. Students, I think about you. I watched my own kids uh, suffer through online school. I, I don't, I, I would not have made it. I would have flunked multiple classes. I, I already had that potential without online school. Um, and, and maybe some of you liked it, like maybe you liked being at home in your PJs or your underwear doing schoolwork, but then eventually you had to go back to, to class but even that was so different. I heard at, at Camus High School, I, I think it was uh, at lunchtime, they had just two people per table, right, to try and like space out. And, and, and you didn't get to see all your friends like you were used to. But then even when you did, you hadn't seen them in forever. And, and it was just awkward. Um, it's been hard. It's been hard for, for all of us in, in, a, in a number of ways. I've told you a handful of times, it's been hard for me, right? Like I'm okay, but, but this just wears on you. And if you do trust Christ, you can imagine uh, or, or, how, or I, I've asked myself, how in the world, how would I make it through this without him, right? No, thank you. If God weren't helping me along, I, I truly don't know what I would have done, right? Even the past couple of weeks, I've just been praying, Lord, I need you. Right? I have nothing right now. I don't know what to do. I need you. And when we cry out to him, it is, it is not a, a vain prayer. God has you. He says, I will carry you. I'll save you. Verse five, chapter 46. He says, to whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be like? How good would it be if, if we just had that verse at the ready? Every, every time we're tempted to trust in something else or, or to go to something else to, to fulfill us or meet the, the need that we have right in front of us, whatever it is that we think we need so badly. Verse six talks about how he says, those who lavish gold from the purse weigh out silver in the scales. They hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. They fall down and worship they lift it to, uh, to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place, it stands there, it cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it doesn't answer or save him from his trouble. So again, we're, we're comparing an idol to God and, and over and over again, we, we've compared idols. So what is it this time? Well, he, he says, you carry it, you set it up and it stands there. It, it's motionless. It's incapable of moving. You cry out to it and nothing happens because nothing can happen. What about when God's people cry out? I think Isaiah has been pretty clear here that that Yahweh hears and Yahweh responds. Verse 8, it says, remember this, stand firm, recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, there's none like me. Remember is more than uh, just this activity of your brain recalling. It's it's respond. It's remembering and responding in accord. Remembering what God has done, and 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 responding to Him in faithful obedience. Uh, back in Numbers fifteen, God tells the people that you need to put these tassels on the edge of your garment. And he says this in, in verse thirty nine. The tassel. Uh, it shall be for you uh, that you'll look at it and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which, are in, which you're inclined to do, right? They're, they're to see this and, and recall who God is, what his commandments are, and follow him and obey him. They're to remember what he's done in the past, how he's provided for them over and over, how his record is perfect in never failing them and, and to recognize that he has control over the past and over the present historical circumstances. Throughout Isaiah, God continues to tell his people that he is in control, that that he was behind the events of the past, that he's in control of the present, he's in control of the future. Verse 10, he says, Declaring from the, uh, the end from the beginning. From ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east. He's referring here to, to Cyrus, the man of my counsel from a far country. I've spoken, I will bring it to past. I've purposed, and I will do it. And then the, the chapter ends this way, not completely uh, on a positive note. It says, listen to me, you stubborn of heart. You who are far from righteousness, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. My salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. You catch that he calls them stubborn of heart. He says that they're far from righteousness, but he also says he will put salvation in Zion. Right? God's not going to save those who do not trust in him. And here we see that at least some of God's people are are not trusting in Yahweh. So how is this going to work? God is bringing salvation, but at least some of Israel are are far from God. And and we'll hold on to that. It'll unfold more. Chapter 47 in your Bibles might be titled uh, something like the humiliation of Babylon. In the top of the chapter, God tells Babylon, get off the throne, get down in the dust. No longer will you be like a queen. No, now you're going to, you're going to do menial tasks like a slave. God says, I'm going to take vengeance on Babylon. He's going to redeem Israel. He sent Babylon to judge his people, but they were ruthless according to verse 6. Right? Even, on, even on the, the aged uh, Israelites, they showed no mercy. Verses 7 and following, we read about the pride and the arrogance of Babylon. They thought they would be in power forever. Verse 8, then they, they have the audacity to, to say this in their heart. Now, therefore, hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sit securely, who say in your heart, in your heart, I am, and there's no one besides me, right? That's just like what God has said throughout Isaiah. And again, it's repeated in verse 10. First, it says, you felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. And you said in your heart, I am, and there's no one besides me. No, God is the only one who can say that. And it is true. But we see this all over our world. We see people get puffed up and think that they're something. Um, Babylon certainly wasn't the first nation to think this way. They, aren't, they wouldn't be the last. Our nation at times uh, certainly has had an arrogance like this. We see this in powerful people. We see this in famous people. Unfortunately, uh, we, we see this e- even, in, uh, even in Christians. I heard a story just the other day of this Christian, uh, I call him a Christian celebrity pastor who uh, years ago was asked to speak, I think at like some conference in London, a Christian gathering maybe like a decade or so ago. And, and the people, uh, he had a couple of people that, that were with him, that were traveling with him. And as they're leaving the conference, they're getting into a cab and all of a sudden they're mobbed by this group of people that want his autograph, that want his picture. Um, and, and they get in the cab and, and one, of his, one of his friends says to him, can you believe that? Like, that's crazy. They want your autograph. You're just a pastor. And in all seriousness, not joking at all, he looks at them and he said, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm kind of a big deal. He was not quoting uh, that that movie that says that. No, you're not, right? Proverbs tells us pride comes before the fall, and the fall is so often spectacular. And for Babylon, the fall would be quite spectacular. Verse 11, but evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster will fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly of which you know nothing, right? This once great world power was powerless to do anything because it was God they were up against and there was no one able to save them. Chapter 48 opens up, it says, hear this, right? Listen, pay attention, even as water is falling down all over the place. That's not in Isaiah. Hear this right? Pay attention. Oh, house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, right? This all sounds good, but look at the next line. It says, but not in truth or right, You're called by the name of Israel. You swear by the name of the Lord. You confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. For they call themselves after the holy city. They stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. There continues to be this problem in God's people, right? Saying the right words. We've read in previous chapters, maybe even going through the right actions, but it isn't true. They aren't devoted to God. Verse three. The former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them and they came to pass because I know that you're obstinate. Your neck is like iron sinew, your forehead, brass, right? This reminds us of of God's description of Israel after the Exodus, stiff-necked, stubborn people. Verse five, I declared them to you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you, lest you should say, my idol did them. My carved image, my metal image commanded them. Right? They're, they're so delusional that they would be ready to credit their idols with what Yahweh actually did. Right? They, they don't have a clue how off their perception of reality is. They're, they're ready to credit a powerless fake God with what Yahweh alone could do. Verse six, you have heard, now see all this and will you not declare it? From this time forth, I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. They're created now, not long ago. Before today, you've never heard them, lest you should say, behold, I knew them. You've never heard, you've never known. From of old, your ear has never been opened for I knew that you would surely deal treacherously. And that from before birth, you were called a rebel. There's this problem that God's people aren't really trusting God. Isaiah is clear that God will save a remnant of his people, but it can't be the ones who refuse to believe in God, the ones who turn to idols instead of the true living God. Verse nine, he says, "'For my name's sake, I defer my anger.'" For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Behold, I've refined you, but not as silver. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory, I will not give to another. The purpose of the exile was to refine Israel. He was burning away what didn't belong in his people. God was doing good in them through the refinery of the exile. If Israel had faithfully followed God, he would not have sent them into exile, but they weren't faithful to him. They sinned against him. They rebelled against him repeatedly. And he could have, he could have just wiped them out. But he says, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For, for the, the sake of my name all over the world, the, the world knows that you're my people. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. And, and I doubt that any of us really grasp that our sin, how, how, great, uh, how greatly we deserve the anger of God for our sin. And, and what a terrifying reality that is, right? That, that our sin rightly, justly deserves God's perfect, holy anger, right? I'm so quick to justify my sin. I even think of certain sins as just being little, not that big of a deal. There's a pastor named Greg Gilbert who, who, who said we think about sin this way, like it's a, a heavenly traffic uh, ticket, Right? Like, like I, could just, I could just deal with it by paying a little fine, or I could even go to the judge and get it reduced because they always do that. No, Ephesians says that before we turned to God, before we trusted in Jesus, that we were called children of wrath. But for his name's sake, he didn't. His glory was on the line. God would save his people. God in his goodness was determined to refine a people for himself. And as a reader in Isaiah, you might ask yourself, man, how did they not see the purpose of the exile? We're we're looking through a New Testament lens. We, we, We read about the exile, and maybe we're connecting the dots to places like James 1, 2, considered pure joy, Brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, and, and maybe you've never even heard that verse before, and you're thinking, what, why would someone consider it pure joy? Well, James tells us, because God is at work. He's growing you through those trials. But it's not like the world's uh, uh, saying, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. No, this is Yahweh working intentionally through the trials that he is using in the lives of his people. So he would refine his people to be the people of God. Their finding happened, he said, in a furnace of, infliction, uh, of affliction, right? That's where we grow. That's where we learn in this furnace of difficulty and affliction. It's where God has our attention. It's where we come to the end of ourselves. It's where we see how limited we are and how great our need is. We see our weakness and see how great God is, that he is nothing like us. We see his power, his strength. It's where we learn to trust in him. So how do you respond to the refining furnace? How do you respond when it feels like you've been exiled in in Babylon? From Romans 8, 28, we know that God is at work in in his people. He's at work in all things from from bad to good and everything in between to make you more and more like Jesus. So do we trust in, in God's good work when we get bad news? Do we trust in him when when our dream is on life support or it's dead? When you lose something you wanted so badly, do you look to him in faith? When your loved one just seems to get hit by medical issue after medical issue, do we trust in him? Do we consider it pure joy recognizing that he's at work? Or are we stiff necked? Are we stubborn? Are we obstinate like Israel? and I feel like I talk about this so much, um, but life is really hard, right? Life, it's, it is hard. Most Christian brothers and sisters around the world and throughout history have faced hardship and persecution. Right? We, we think about our, our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan right now. I, I, I can't even really wrap my mind around what they're going through, uh, but we know who they're facing it with, with Yahweh. He is their provider. He will see them through this, right? And some of them might die um, as a result of this in in the coming days, weeks, months. and, And yet they will taste life in Christ more fully and completely than they can imagine or we can imagine and I, I won't get this exactly right about the uh, church in Afghanistan right now, but I just recently heard that um, there are some who are tracking the numbers of, of Christians all over the world, and, and they think that the Afghanistan church, the Christian church in, in Afghanistan, might be the fastest growing church in the world right now per capita. And, and, and even if, even if that, they're not the fastest, like just to be in that conversation lets us know that God is doing amazing things right now in one of the scariest places in the world to be a Christ follower. He's at work. He is at work. This past year um, has been hard for us. Not, not like that, right? It's been a different kind of hard. It's been wearing on many people. Like I, I think a lot of people are, are on edge. It, it feels like, not for everyone, but for some, that, that, that it's just like a powder keg and, and the wrong thing is going to set us off. Or do you recognize that in all of this, God is refining his people? He is at work. Are we trusting him or... Are we looking for something else to trust in, right? Something else to fix it, something else to make it better. Let's keep going. Verse 16, draw near to me, hear this from the beginning. I've not spoken in secret from the time it came to be. I've been there and now, Now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. So I don't know if you caught that, but there's a new voice here, right? From the beginning of chapter 48 till now, God has been speaking. But now it says, and now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. So who is this? You might remember from a few weeks ago, we, we were looking at the two servants that are developed in the book of Isaiah. One is very clearly Israel. And there's another that very clearly is not Israel because this other servant is so much better than Israel. It's this servant that will be the Israel that God's people were always supposed to be, but but proved to be incapable of. This servant would be or will be key in redeeming God's people and would do so by God's Spirit. We remember back to chapter 11, just, just before that, there's this picture of, of this deforested land, just desolate and stumps all over the place. Some, some are still smoldering. And, and then in 11.1, we read that there's this, this tiny shoot of Jesse, right? Jesse's King David's father, this, this shoot uh, out of the stump of Jesse. And it says the, the branch from its roots would produce fruit. And then verse two in chapter 11 says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And the passage goes on to describe how he will rule, right? It, it perfectly, how he will judge. It describes peace that sounds absolutely impossible. If we go forward into Isaiah 61, it opens up with the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So we wonder who is this in forty-eight sixteen? And as the weeks go on in Isaiah, it'll get clearer and clearer. But at this time, readers are left wondering and hoping. Verse 17, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. He says, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you would have paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river. Your righteousness, like the waves of the sea, your offspring would have been like the sand, your descendant, your descendants like its grains, their name would never uh, their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. Right? Oh Israel God's people, if you just would have listened to God, the one who teaches you the way to go, the, the one who who shows you how to profit, if you would have paid attention to God's commandments in, in, instead of, of this this tribulation that you're living through, there would have been peace. Right, they they would have they would have known the promise given to Abraham of descendants numbered like the sand. Do you ever wonder? Like, what did I miss by not being obedient to Christ? What did I miss out on in in my relationship with Christ? Or, or would I miss seeing him do because I chose not to obey him? Right? What what would have been like if if I would have if I would have turned to him maybe years earlier? For some reason, every time I read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3, uh, I, I think about that, um, right? These, if you don't know the story, they, they were these guys who refused to bow down to, uh, to this fake God. And, and they knew that the penalty was that they'd be thrown into this furnace. Um, if they didn't trust God, they, they never would have seen his provision because what he did is they, they were thrown into the furnace and, and the, the the guards that were throwing them in, the furnace was so hot that it it, it burned them, it killed them. They get thrown in the furnace and, and not a hair is singed. And in fact, there's this fourth, this fourth person in there and the king looks and he's like, do, do you see that fourth person? It looks like the uh, son of the gods, right? A lot of people think that this is the pre-incarnate Christ. You know, what if, what if they didn't trust God? They could have easily justified in their minds, like, I could have done this. If 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 I if I bow down in my heart, I'll still bow down only to God. And then that way I'll be alive and think of all the good things I could do for God if I'm alive. But but they didn't, right? They were devoted to God. They wouldn't give worship to another. They trusted that if God desired to save them, he could. And obviously, I'm not saying that. Someone's going to throw you in a furnace. But, but what blessings from God do we miss when, when we refuse to trust in him, when we're convinced that that person will never, never listen to us about, about how Jesus saved us, right? When we don't want to stand out for Christ in, in our workplace or our school or our neighborhood, when we give in to temptation rather than trusting God and obeying what he says. Verse 20, it says, go out from Babylon, free from Chaldea. In other words, be free. I'm redeeming you from the exile. It says, declare with a shout of joy, proclaim it, send it out to the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. Just as God had freed them before in the Exodus and provided for them, God is redeeming his people and they're to proclaim it from the ends of the earth, right? He isn't just saving them so that they can be saved. He's saving his people so that they would go to the world, to the nations who don't know him and proclaim that Yahweh is God. He is the one who saves. He's powerful enough to save. He desires to save. Turn to him and be saved while you can, because one day it will be too late. And, and that's, that's what we end on in verse 22, the end of chapter 48. It says, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Right? There are some righteous in Israel. And we know that God is going to save this righteous remnant that look, look to the Lord to save them, and he will save them. But there are also those in Israel who refuse to believe, who refuse to hear. They refuse to see that there is no one like Yahweh. They have no problem looking everywhere else for salvation, whether it's trusting an idol or another nation or, or whatever it is. And, and this is the throwback. If you go back to chapter 1 of Isaiah, verse 27, it says, Zion shall be redeemed by justice those, uh, and those in her who repent by righteousness, but rebels and sinners shall be broken together. Those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. Those who've rebelled against the Lord, for them there will be no peace. They will not know what it is like to be God's people. They will know, however, his judgment. And this, this is not just something for Israel. This is for everyone. God will save those who hear the word of God, those who, who have ears to hear the gospel and re- respond in faith, those who trust in the servant Jesus, who laid down his life for everyone who places their faith in him. We listen to God's word? Will you respond to him? Will you trust in him? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, Lord. We, we thank you that, that we can trust in you, that, that you will carry, that you will save. God, I think of uh, what is happening in Afghanistan right now. I think of brothers and sisters in Christ that are, are facing, uh, facing reality that, that none of us have faced, Lord. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to them. God, would you strengthen them? Would, would you help them to trust in you? God, in, in, in their weakness, would they see your power perfected? God, we do pray that you would save lives. Lord, we pray that you would keep them from harm. Lord, we pray that, 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 that they would stand firm in you and, and that there uh, would be uh, a testimony that, that really just cannot be denied to those around them. Lord, we pray that you would stop the Taliban, Lord, that, that, that they would not be able to do the, the evil things that they want to do, Lord. God, we, we thank you that you carry your people, and, and we pray that for our brothers and sisters all over the world, Lord, and we, we, we pray that, that we would trust you, Lord, that we would look to you and to you alone, that we would stop looking after other things to save us, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.